from the Society for Nautical Research in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Welcome everyone to the second of our new sub-series of podcast episodes. We already have a sub-series on great sea fights and I'd urge you to go and listen to the episodes dedicated to the Battle of the River Plate of 1939 and the Battle of Cape St Vincent of 1797, just 142 years before. We've also got one coming up at the end of May on the Battle of Tsushima, which will include Russian and Japanese perspectives and an animation of a battle plan made by a British naval officer who was there, saw the whole thing, on a Japanese battleship. So some tech wizardry there to make the Battle of Tsushima of 1905 come alive. So do put a note in your diaries for that. But this... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's a new sub-series, and it's our Iconic Ships series. It's been conceived as an opportunity for curators of famous historic vessels to make a case as to why their ship is iconic. But I've also opened it up to historians who can make a case for a historic vessel that no longer survives. Once we have sufficient entries, we will open this up to you, our wonderful listeners. We will run a poll. Yes, we will have an international vote to see who we can crown as the iconic ship for 2021. There will be entries from all over the world. We began this sub-series last week with the excellent Chris Dobbs, who is head of interpretation at the Mary Rose. Now, he strongly made the case that the Mary Rose, that Tudor warship with a fascinating career uh, before she was even sunk in the summer of 1545 and then raised in 1982, deserves the title of king, or perhaps I should say queen, of the iconic ships for a whole host of reasons. Now, as you know, the plan is to mix up this series with historic vessels, so vessels which have survived from history, with vessels that have not. And so this week we have a historian making a case for a vessel that no longer survives, but was iconic indeed. This week we have the Mayflower and Catherine Gray will be making the case. Catherine is Associate Professor of Early American Literature at Plymouth University, a city, of course, with very powerful links with the Mayflower, as it is from Plymouth that the Mayflower set sail for America in 1620 with a group of families on board who became known as the Pilgrims and who crossed the Atlantic. They safely landed. They founded a colony in Massachusetts that they called, you guessed it, Plymouth. 
Catherine was instrumental in helping set up many of the events that celebrated the 400th anniversary of the Mayflower Crossings in 2020. She is a member of the British Association for American Studies, the Society for Early Americanists and the Transatlantic Studies Association. She is, in short, exactly the person we need to tell us how and why the Mayflower is an iconic ship. So here's Catherine and I hope you enjoy listening to her. The transatlantic journey of the Mayflower came to be remembered as one of the most consequential voyages in the history of North America. That's not to say that it was the most consequential. That kind of evaluation depends on what you're measuring. But it's definitely how it was remembered. Underpinned with stories of providence, new beginnings and religious freedom, 19th century reimaginings of the Mayflower's arrival on the eastern seaboard of North America created a pervading and persistent national mythography, one that endured for generations. This journey and the success of the colony which the Mayflower passengers settled became the original and preferred national narrative of the United States. But in the 17th century, that moment in history was as pragmatic as it was idealistic, and some chroniclers of the colony were more conscious of the diversity of indigenous cultures than came to be acknowledged in later years. The ship mattered because of the passengers it carried and the consequences of their settlement. All of this cultural narrative in good time, but I'll begin with the Mayflower ship itself. This Mayflower, co-owned by Christopher Jones of Harwich, took 102 passengers from Southampton and then Plymouth to the coast of New England in 1620. It left Plymouth on September 6th and spent 66 days at sea, sighting land at Cape Cod in early November. But this famous ship can only be found in glimpses in the port books and archives of the period. It was an ordinary cargo ship with an ordinary name, and in the reign of James I, there were 26 ships called Mayflower. This ship was not built as an expression of maritime innovation, nor for military glory. It was one of many hundreds of ships facilitating trade between England and the rest of Europe. In 1609, it was chartered for a voyage from London to Trodenheim in Norway and back again to London. In 1613, port books show that the ship was twice on the Thames, once in July and again in October November. In 1616, Christopher Jones's ship was carrying a cargo of wine, suggesting that the Mayflower had recently been on a voyage to France, Spain, Portugal, the Canaries or some other wine-producing land. These are unremarkable and quite anonymous beginnings, are surprising perhaps, for a ship that would come to symbolise England's aspirations of an empire in North America. Indeed, the port book in Plymouth, where one might expect an entry about its arrival or departure in September of 1620, is silent on the matter. As this was a cargo ship with no saleable cargo, it lacked economic significance and so passed through without formal comment. Luckily, William Bradford and Edward Winslow, who co-write the first account of the Mayflower passengers when they arrive in New England, open their account with the following statement. Wednesday the 6th of September, the winds coming east-north-east, a fine small gale, we loosed from Plymouth, having been kindly entertained and courteously used by different friends there dwelling. 
Research by maritime historian William E. Baker in the mid-20th century helped the building of the replica Mayflower II in Brixham, England in 1655-57 and showed that the ship was likely 90 foot long with a 26 foot beam. This replica was gifted to Plymouth Plantation in 1957. Fully restored in 2020, it's now part of Plymouth Patuxent Museums in Massachusetts. This ship was important because of the people on board, and this is where the story becomes cultural, complicated and at times misunderstood. Back in 1620, travelling in this cargo ship for 66 days in cramped conditions and in rough weather couldn't have been easy. To give birth in the midst of it all is unimaginable, and yet it happened. So from here I'll unravel the myths and explore the motivations and consequences for the individuals involved, all the time tracing the larger forces shaping the Atlantic world in the 17th century. Under half of the passengers of the Mayflower came from Leiden, the Dutch city, where they had settled many years earlier when they had left England fleeing religious persecution. For some of them, a decade in Leiden had proven enough, and for a range of reasons, including economic hardship and a generation of their children growing up feeling more Dutch than English, they took the decision to invest all they had in an attempt to settle a colony on the east coast of North America, following the model of England's existing colony, Jamestown in Virginia, which had been settled in 1607. Even with the investment of the Leiden separatist community, they didn't have enough money to bankroll a colonial settlement themselves. So a deal was struck with a company of merchant adventurers, a follow-on from the Virginia Company of London, which had provided the financial backing for Jamestown more than a decade earlier. The plan for the Plymouth Colony was to develop enough trade between England and New England to pay off this debt to the merchant adventurers. Two ships, the Speedwell and the Mayflower, left Southampton in August 1620 to settle a parcel of land in North America close to the Hudson River. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. 
After several stops along the English coast to fix the leaky speedwell, the final stop being Plymouth, the sister ship was eventually declared unseaworthy and the Mayflower left on its own a month behind schedule. When the Mayflower left Plymouth in September in 1620, the travellers were a mix of men, women and children, families and servants. Not all were separatists or part of that community and Bradford would call them strangers. Collectively, the passengers were made up of 39 men, 18 women, 12 servants, male and female, and around 33 children. 19 families travelled. Three of the women were pregnant and four children, the more children from Shropshire, travelled without their parents in the care of other families. When they next saw land, they were further north than they had anticipated and outside the bounds of the initial patent. The patent was a legal document offering English jurisdiction, and without it, there was some doubt that English law even applied. Bradford tells us about the murmurings of the strangers, as he called them, who might disrupt the ordered settling of the colony. This day, before we came to harbour, observing some not well affected to unity and concord, but gave some appearance of faction, it was thought good there should be an association and agreements, that we should combine together in one body and submit to such government and governors as we should by common consent agree to make and choose. From this, the Plymouth settlers devised the Mayflower Compact, an early and important expression of collective civil governance in North America. By the time the Mayflower left to return to England several months after arrival, Half of the colonists had perished from disease and exposure. Life in colonial North America was not easy at the best of times and in the midst of winter, near impossible. Survival came in the form of the indigenous populations of the region, especially the Wampanoag, with whom the settlers had a formal and enduring alliance. To understand a little of this alliance, we need to take a few steps back. While the Mayflower may have inadvertently stumbled across Cape Cod, many other English and European ships had sailed in these waters. John Smith had travelled in the region and published a map of this coastline in 1616. Samuel de Champlain produced a map of the region even earlier in 1605 and the Dutch were developing trade in the Hudson River area. All of this contact had an impact. Disease spread, especially among the Wampanoag, and the geopolitics of the region were changing. When the Mayflower arrived and the colony was settled, they inserted themselves into an already dynamic set of changing alliances and power bases in the region. The Pequot, the Narragansett, the Wampanoag and the Massachusetts, to name just a few, were re-establishing their alliances in the wake of the devastating and unequal impact of disease. The alliance that the colonists had with the Wampanoag as opposed to the Narragansett or the Pequot with whom they did not appear to have close ties needs to be understood as part of this dynamic diplomatic set of circumstances. Stories of kidnapped from the coastline were not so unusual either. James Rossier's account of the Weymouth Voyage, A True Relation, published in 1605, details the kidnap of five indigenous men brought to England through the southwest, probably Plymouth. When Squanto, or Tusquantum as he's known, walks into the Plymouth settlement in North America and speaks in English, English he learned in London, 
the story of his kidnap, along with 19 others, is unravelled and understood. To Squantum, taken by Thomas Hunt, who intended to sell him and others into slavery in Spain, had a more extensive Atlantic experience than the Plymouth settlers and Mayflower passengers, but it wasn't one he chose for himself. With Tusquantum's help and with the help of other Indigenous allies, the Plymouth colonists learned to survive in what was to them a new and challenging environment. In November 1621, following the colonists' first harvest, several days of feasting and thanksgiving takes place. The Massasoit, or the leader of the Wampanoag, attends with 90 of his men. They dine and mark the occasion together. But the record is unclear as to whether or not Massasoit and his men were invited or were responding to the noise and alarm coming from the colony. Centuries later, the story of the Mayflower colonists would encompass the founding narratives of North America for three reasons. The Mayflower Compact signalled democratic intent. The peace treaty with the Wampanoag fed the notion of a peaceable and welcoming world, and the Thanksgiving of 1621 offered an image of harmony with Indigenous people, underpinned by the religious conviction that this was God's providence. Each of these agreements and events, when seen through the lens of the 17th century, don't sit comfortably with the great historical paintings of the 19th century that consciously build the exceptional narrative of America's colonial past. In the 21st century, many millions of people in North America and beyond can claim to be descended from Plymouth colonists. By contrast, only a few thousand Indigenous people can claim to be descended from the Wampanoag who helped the original band of colonists to survive. Back in the 17th century, the Mayflower itself sails back into obscurity. By May 1621, the Mayflower was back in the port books in Europe, trading between England and France. In 1624, the last record of the ship, an appraisement after the death of Jones in 1622, valued the ship at £128, 8 shillings and 4 pence. The colonists the ship left behind wrote about the relief and high expectations that the new land and its apparent abundance appeared to afford the settlers when they first set eyes on it. Up on the 11th of November we came to an anchor in the bay, which was a good harbour and a pleasant bay, circled round except in the entrance, which is about four miles over from land to land, encompassed about to the very sea with oaks, pines, juniper, sassafras and other sweetwood. It is a harbour wherein 1,000 sail of ships may safely ride. And every day we saw whales playing hard by us, of which in that place, if we had instruments and means to take them, we might have made a very rich return, which to our great grief... We want it. Thank you all so much for listening. Now, the big question is, how can you help the Mariner's Mirror podcast? Well, you can help, number one, by telling everyone you know, and lots of people you don't know as well, about our fantastic podcast. And if you find the Society for Nautical Research and the Mariner's Mirror pod on social media, tag us, and I'll be sure to follow back and to share your posts. 
do please leave a review on iTunes. This is really one of the most important things you can do. It makes a huge difference. Will help us climb up the ladder of history podcasts. But best of all, perhaps, is to join the Society for Nautical Research. It doesn't cost very much money, and your subscription fee goes towards publishing the most important maritime history and towards preserving our maritime past. So find everything you need to know at snr.org.uk. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com